0: Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. It's a joy, as always, to be here with you this morning, or afternoon, or evening, depending on where you are listening to the show from live, or if you're listening to it on podcast. We've got a great show. We, I've got a great show for you today. We, because I've got a great guest who I've known, I don't know, it seems like forever, and he's agreed to be on the show. I love Michael, Michael Einbinder Schatz, and Michael, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing your name right.
1: <laughs> well, it's Einbinder Schatz, the small details.
0: You've just been Michael to me for probably 20 years?
1: Probably pretty close to that, Laura. Yeah. been a while.
0: You know, and and for those of you listening out here um, in Radioland, as you know, I used to have... Uh, A tech services company, a managed service provider, a reseller, depending on which era you started doing it in. And Michael has one as well. He started his own business in 1996. I started mine in 94. But he is still doing his business and growing it with leaps and bounds. And, Michael, you just have so much... um, There's so much you can talk about as being an entrepreneur. I I mean, one of the things I love about my show is having people on who embrace the highs and lows of entrepreneurship and who get that connecting to their clients and their staff while meeting their own needs is critical to success. And you seem to just do that so effortlessly.
1: (laughs) I feel like it's funny when you say that, you know, I don't know if you ever saw the film Juno or... uh Um, uh, Michael Sarah's character, uh, Ellen Page says to him, you're just so effortless, you're so cool, and it's so effortless, and he says something like, no, but I I try really, really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just thinking when you said that, that's just what popped into my head, because um, I recognize at this point in my life and career that I do have some skills in that area to... Uh, make those pieces work, and and I love being a lifelong learner. But it is it is constant work and reorientation and refocusing and asking myself questions about well, who is it I want to be, and what type of business do I want to run, and you know, kind of the classic, what am I doing with my life?
0: Okay, so, uh, so I'm so always
1: asking that of myself.
0: So let's let's start with one of those things. Who do you want to be?
1: <laughs> um, who do i want to be i'm that is a working process i'm i'm in my mid-50s now i've been in business as you said for for 23 years and uh what i want to do is i want to do work that matters um i want to be someone who can make a difference and you know we We can't all aspire to do that at the highest levels and make changes in the world and save the world. Maybe that idealism exhibited by a lot of folks just starting out, and I don't want to discourage anyone from that idealism, but I think the differences that I enjoy making are centered around connecting with people and helping them do and be the best that they can be. I haven't done it like you're doing it. You know, you you do a great job working with people and helping them strategize personally and professionally, and I I just admire that so much. For me, it's still focused on my, you know, my small IT business and what we can do to help, let's just say, a nonprofit get the most that they can and focus on their mission and, and do so in a way that honors their fiduciary responsibility that they have, uh, and at the same time allows them to really take advantage of everything that's available in the world of technology without taking their eye off of, say, security, just a little thing
0: we have to worry about these days. Well, I want to thank you for, for the compliment in there. And, you know, the thing is, though, I was thinking about a similar thing just the other day, Michael, that... You know, I want to be doing things on a, on a big level and making an impact in the world. And, you know, I look at all these people who speak like I do, who have radio shows, who, you know, do strategy work with clients. And they're doing it on this massive scale. And they're really well known. And they're on Oprah. And they're on all these shows. And, and then it makes me feel, oh, I'm not achieving enough, right? And then it hit me. Well... Where did I get that idea, right? That I have to be doing it the way they're doing it. I'm making an impact in my small corner of the world. And I'm changing lives in some cases for some of my clients. And some of them are doing things on on a bigger scale. You're doing amazing work with your clients. I mean, one of the things I love about how you run your business, Michael, is... It, it was similar to my own, right, where we do consultative work. Like If somebody says they need a new computer, you don't say, okay, what kind, you go, why?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's your goal? What's a computer supposed to help you do? But that's not normal for a lot of tech businesses to really get into somebody's business to help them grow their business. That is a unique slant and talent what made you decide that that's the way you want to run your business
1: well I that's a great question I I think the best way to answer it would be to just give a little bit of background into how I ended up doing what I do because it's sort of the classic e-myth you know I was I didn't plan to be an entrepreneur. I sort of fell into it. And I mean, I worked at a large law firm. I was a trainer. I loved working with people. I got promoted and I was running the network for like 900 people across the country. And if you work in a big law firm, everything has to be done at 2 in the morning. You know, they'll never shut down anything because it's billable time. And uh, I hated that. I liked working with people. And when I went out on my own, it was really, well, I was just consulting. I was the classic solopreneur. Uh, One of the terms we have is, you know, a trunk slammer. I carried everything around in my trunk and uh, went out and helped people when they had emergencies. And of course, I was steeped in the law, law firm background. And so, you know, the phone rang and people had a problem and you rubbed your hands together, you were happy because you were putting food on the table. But what I found early on, even though it was just me, was that I really, really valued the relationships that I was developing with certain clients. And what those clients had in common whether they were solopreneurs themselves or larger organizations, was that they offered me a seat at the table. They invited me to ask questions. They answered my questions. They they looked at me as a partner. They didn't look at me as a vendor. They didn't look at me as someone who was crawling around under the desks, hooking things up, looking like a plumber, unfortunately, at times. They, they really took it more seriously. And... I recognized and started to build out a philosophy of strategy matters, and strategy is important to what we do. And companies and organizations, nonprofits that we work with now, they don't all embrace that. You never have 100% ideal clients, at least I don't think so. But the ones that are the most rewarding are the ones that really value that, that want you to ask the questions, that want you to... uh, to ask so that they can take the time and answer fully. And when that happens and we have a, a strategic business meeting with a client, I'll, I'll sit there for three hours if they want to talk. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's, it's it, it fuels
0: my jets. So that differentiates your business from another because now – you're not just a commodity business. They can't just go, okay, they're offering this, and who can I get it from cheaper? They can't just Google Amazon or whatever. You've built a relationship.
1: Right, and you can always get it for less. And you can always get it for less. And there's, there's uh, my dad owned a business. I mean, he was a jazz musician for many, many years. I mean, big bands, very successful, you know, Benny Goodman, Frank Sinatra, and he fell into his business in the picture framing industry, which is a whole story unto itself. But, you know, he used to have a saying that cheap can be pretty expensive. <laughs> and and you know, I recognize that there's tremendous wisdom in that in that simple statement. So, you know, of course, we're we're not a, a fit for for everybody, and I, I and I think that's okay. I think you know some businesses, some people don't want to change the oil until there's smoke coming out of the car, and I'm not here to say you should you can't do that. You can do whatever you want on you know, your own business, but if you're going to react to things more, then it, it's going to cost you in terms of aggravation and time and and money. So. You know, certainly over the years, as so much in our industry has become commodified, the one constant that hasn't and won't is consultative expertise and strategic approach. No matter what, that's always going to be valued. And and that's fortunate for me because that's the part that I enjoy
0: the most. Is that interaction with the customers to really understand where they want to be going?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really want to understand what's going on with my clients. And by the way, I, I say that, I, I mean, I'm not getting on your show and preaching that this is how we do it and we're perfect at it. I have to tell you, it's a struggle. You know, I, I can't always penetrate with the client to get them to engage the way I want. So I have to constantly be thinking about, well, what am I doing? And how do I do it differently? And Of course, I think one of the things that interested me and and I find so fascinating about your show is you're focused on questions, and that is an area where, uh, quite candidly, I think I am... You know, I'm still in my adolescence about learning how to ask questions and being 100% focused on that. I still get that excitement, like, Oh, they expressed a need. Let me talk about it. But that's
0: important.
1: But I'm learning. By the time I'm 90, I think I'll have this thing down. Uh,
0: And maybe not, and that's okay too,
1: right? (laughs) Absolutely.
0: The excitement, though, is something that a lot of entrepreneurs begin to lose, or they quest for it every single day. And then what happens is the businesses begin to suffer because they're constantly searching for excitement, versus, you know, there's an everydayness to being an entrepreneur and growing a yeah. business. How do you handle those lulls, shall we say, where the business is, is flowing along, you're stuck in the trenches of you've got to deal with the financials, you've got to deal with HR issues with your staff or issues with your clients, versus the, oh, I've got a potential new client, this is exciting.
1: I, I think that's a great question. Um Because what you're identifying there, at least what struck me is that there's a little bit of like a drug aspect to it or like an adrenaline rush. And I think it's possible for people to burn out on overstimulating that, you know, that they have to always be up. They have to always be producing, you know, it doesn't quite work that way. Sometimes you have to slog and grind and recognize that slogging and grinding is okay. In fact, maybe slogging and grinding is restorative, you know, uh, the other side of being up and everything's exciting and, you know, I'm going for the stimulation. Um, But like most business owners, we look, I'm at, I don't know, what, 23 years now to, you know, I, I mean, I have to acknowledge that I've had some down times in my business. I've had periods where I've lost money. I, when I look back on the most challenging times, um, they've the pathway out has been when I've stopped and, and asked myself, what do I need to do to change things? And often the answer is in the shower, so to speak, you know, that epiphany moment. And sometimes it's, it's just more simple, like when we hit a, a period in the recession um, and my marriage was coming to an end, I just had to sit there. We were losing money. Everything was unstable in my life, and I had to sit there in front of my employees and be really vulnerable. Like I just had to let it out and let them know where I was and where things were, and they all really mattered to me. And I, I remember I broke down, and uh, you know, um, and that was that was helpful. It, it got everyone really connected, you know. And it and change didn't happen overnight. I mean, anyone who's worked for me for a while, and I, I have a core. Of engineers that have been with me almost twenty years, almost fifteen years, and ten years, so I have a really loyal, dedicated, exceptional team will tell you that I can be maddeningly crazy to work for sometimes because I do chase squirrels but I think what 's happened now as i 'm slowly as i 'm getting older i 'm slowing down a little bit, but in really intelligent ways like i 'm starting to listen to people in my life who I can learn things from or or you know, if I've heard them for a hundred times, it's starting to penetrate a little <laughs> bit.
0: You're, uh, you're ready to hear it at that moment.
1: Right. You have to find that moment when you're there and it's like, okay. It, it's like, it's like I was talking about my personal stuff, you know, which goes back almost 10 years now. And, you know, when they talk about say alcoholism or drug addiction, they say, you, you know, you really have to bottom out. And, I think in some cases, if you're struggling in business or in life, you know, in a way that's not, say, addiction-related, you still have to reach a point where you're, where you're ready to receive knowledge and information that's either being provided to you, you know, by people you know or, or you know, to get metaphysical that the universe or spiritual, however you want to take that in, is providing for you, um, I used to joke that I had read the front flats and introductions of every business book out there. <laughs> right, uh, but I wasn't executing. In fact, you and I were in a in a in a peer group together, a large peer group, and yeah.
0: and Arlen's you know, been I, on the show I, several times.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I loved Arlen and Htg and and but I had to leave uh, that group because I. I wasn't executing and at that time in my life, as painful as that was, that was absolutely the right thing. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm the execution king now, I still struggle, I still sometimes reach too far, but I have embraced some strategies and tactics that are helping and as we execute as a company, I'm seeing this incredible level of engagement from 10, 15, 20-year employees that I haven't seen before. And they're helping me make it happen and that's a wonderful wonderful feeling
0: okay so let's talk about that whole idea of execution and, and also the idea that you had to leave the peer group because you mm-hmm. weren't executing one of the biggest things that I see happen with entrepreneurs is at a certain point they become what I call the idea people Versus when they started their business, they had this idea, but then they also went and did the work to implement their idea. And at some point, a lot of entrepreneurs go, well, I don't have to do the work anymore. I can just come up with the idea and and let everybody else run with it, but never really on some level execute themselves to make sure that their ideas are actually being done. So then the staff goes... Oh, you know, came back from a conference, and he or she has this great idea, (laughs) but if I don't do anything with it for a week, it'll just go away. How do you handle that as an entrepreneur that you said, you know, you went from not executing? Now, I'm sure at the time, you know, well, I know at the time when that happened that it didn't feel good when you left because of that. So how do you make sure that you stay that way? What can my listeners do to help themselves?
1: I I think it's a fine line. Um, If you're evolving your business, well, first of all, for me, in the technology space, there's an important recognition, which was that I never loved doing the hands-on IT work. I was good at certain aspects of it and not good at others. Um, But I recognized that it wasn't my passion. So, um, I created a business where I didn't have to do that work. And when I talked to people who were in the industry, they were amazed to hear that I fired myself as an engineer 15 years ago. It's been 15 years since I've done anything technical in my business. And I wouldn't have that any other way. Now, that I'd also be kidding you and kidding your listeners out there if I said that's all there is to it. It's technical work. or else well, No, you're talking about the visionary component. Right. And, and to be a visionary in the business, you have to have a really strong operational piece or we follow a book called Traction, uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System, written by Gina Wickman. So that, that role is an integrator. And I'm not the ideal integrator, for my company, but in order to execute, like I love being the idea person, but I know that in order to execute on those ideas, there has to be a strong operational component. So what, what we've done, and I would say the big change, and it's really only in about the past year, is that we've embraced this tool, and I, I'm not trying to sell the traction book or tool. There's a lot of great tools out there. I think the key is you've, you, pick a side and start playing so to speak
0: pick something and we try yeah and do it do it it. it.
1: until such point as it proves itself as not being a fit or whatnot the thing is everyone at joe becker really embraced traction i had everyone read it they embraced it and we decided a year ago to, to start implementing pieces of it and it's a struggle at times but we have seen huge improvements in, in the company and how it's run and how we're executing on ideas and where we're maybe overreaching on something or we want to rethink things or where we're not being clear enough or where we're not setting the right kinds of goals or holding each other accountable or encouraging conflict. I could yammer on about this stuff. These are all things where we're seeing changes. So I think it's important, and for me, if there's a key word, it's engagement. If you can move to more of a visionary role, but you remain engaged and you're willing to be accountable for the pieces that you have to do to make things happen, then you can accomplish anything. I've Does seen that answer your an, question?
0: Yeah, yeah I, I've got like 10 questions going around in my head, and none of them wants to <laughs> come out of my mouth. <laughs> Because I could go in so many different directions with what you were just saying. Where I want to kind of start out going with, bear with me as my brain is trying to gather it all together. Mm-hmm. This idea of a visionary but still staying in. I had this picture in my brain of entrepreneurs throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Have you... Yeah. Come up with some methodology that works where you are implementing one or two ideas? Uh, How often do you try out different things?
1: Um, That's a work in process, and the answer is yes. But I have to digress for a moment because there's a great story. Do you know Alex uh, Rogers at CharTech? Yeah. From our industry. He used to talk about coming back from conferences. And he, his employees dreaded when he would come back from a conference because he would stop by every cubicle with, "Oh, we got to do this," and I said, "This thing," and I want you to do this. And And they said he was like a seagull, you know, flying overhead, dropping his his handiwork. (laughs) Okay. And you know, he was using a tool. I know you've had Arnie on from Connectwise, and uh, and they created a special board, named it the Seagull Board. So anytime he had an idea, he would just send an email to that address that would create a ticket on that board and then they would have a structured meeting every whatever. I don't know. You'd have to talk to Alex to get the, the answer to that. But I thought, how brilliant is that? Because you don't want to take the visionary and tell him stop having ideas. You just want to you want to control it. And that's the part that really resonates with me. I love having ideas. I love brainstorming with folks on ideas. But you have to rein it in. And so to answer your question, the answer to your question is yes. In the methodology we're following right now, we have a series and we had a tremendous series of company meetings where we really refined on our vision and our you know, where we want it to be in ten years, what um you know, in good degree, it would be called the the big, hairy, audacious goal.
0: Okay, and they're going to hold and on that big, hairy, audacious goal. We're going to head out to the national news break. Hard to believe it's already been a half an hour Absolutely. already, right? And everybody will be back with more from the insightful Michael Einbinder Schatz, who's talking more about entrepreneurship. Welcome back, everyone. If you're listening live, I hope you've been driving safely, or if you're at your home listening on the iHeart app, I hope that you're just having a great day wherever you may be. If you're on podcasts, wherever you are in the world, um, you know, my love of asking questions really comes out during the show, and... The first half of the show, my my guest, Michael Einbinder Schatz, has been talking about his journey as an entrepreneur and some of the different ways that he's really been thinking about his business and his growth. And and Michael, I'd like to go we were talking about this whole visionary and having all these ideas and having staff that goes, Well, you know, if I if I wait another week that that'll go away and I'll never hear of it again, so why should I bother putting the effort into it? But yet you've build a, built a team that is an envy of a lot of people in the industry. They've been with you a long time. They em- embrace what's going on. You shared how at a very low point in your business, you were very vulnerable in front of your staff to the point of tears about what was going on during the recession and with your divorce and stuff. How, how do you think you've enabled yourself to build this team? Because that's a hard problem for a lot of entrepreneurs is going from just being there themselves to building a team successfully.
1: Well, I, I think for me when I, when I look at my company, the, the most important thing to me is that I want to be a part of something. Well, don't get me wrong, I, I mean, I can micromanage with the best of them. I have my, you know, I, I've, I can be a bit of a control freak. But having said that, I really love the dynamic of getting people together and working on something together. Share the load. You know, lighten, you know a little less risk that way. Even though they're employees and, you know, I'm the one that has to make payroll. I like, I like the feeling that we're in it together. And I think that that comes through. Um, and I've been very, very fortunate to have found some great people who've been with me a long time. And I ask myself this, like, what is it that leads to success in that area? Um, and I think there's several things. I mean, you know, say it's this policy or that policy, but we're a, we're a family-oriented environment. And, and by that, I mean everyone at Joe Becker, all of my engineers, um, they have families. And, you know, Craig has been with me coming up on, on 19 years in a couple of months. I mean, his son is, is 19 at this point. So he joined me when he had a. We worked at a law firm together, and uh, he went out on family leave. Um, and he was a paralegal, uh, but he was a closet Microsoft data tester. That's really what he okay. wanted to do. He loved technology, and so he decided, you know, I, I don't want to go back to being a legal assistant. I want to do something that matters to me, which is to work in IT, and that day that he came on board, he knew that he never had to miss a doctor's appointment, uh, a meeting with a teacher, a sporting event, whatever it might be. And in return, you know, my expectation was, well, we get the work done. And I've never had to, like, really spell this out. I mean, they're just loyal, dedicated people. I'll see time entries, someone someone's working on a problem on their own at 10 o'clock at night. So I don't really sweat it when they say, hey, you know, I'm going to go, my kid's got a violin recital at 2.30 tomorrow. So just just go. It's,
0: I, I always felt I had good staff in spite of myself when I had my business. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like I was a horrible manager. I, I think I manager. could say the
1: same thing, too, to yeah. a certain extent. I think they have to put up with me, but... Um, you know, not, not having to miss anything and knowing that they have a say and knowing that they are part of the direction and knowing that they work with someone who really does want to build consensus I think are powerful motivators. Um, there's, there's a flip side to this, though, which is I think you, you talked about, oh, I know that if I don't do anything on this for a couple of weeks, that's going to go away and it'll never be mentioned again. I think sometimes because I've taken on too much and not been realistic uh, in my objectives at times or have been unfocused on them I have created a culture that allowed us to not be accountable and that's what we're working to overcome I have to say in overcoming it it's challenging some things some of our meetings are uncomfortable now I think everyone likes that
0: okay in what way Uh, go a little more deeper into that because accountability is what i've seen with my clients the things they love most about hiring me right to help with them is because i hold them accountable but it's the hardest concept for an entrepreneur that not only is staff accountable but they're accountable as the entrepreneur
1: Exactly, which is why I avoided doing this for many, many years. You know, it's funny, but it's true. Like, I would have a physical reaction to like to to planning stuff out to that detail to where I had to get to the point of okay, now I have to be accountable to my team. I have to execute on this, and I recognize that as um, an area that needed improvement. Let's say and i just said look you know i have to hold myself accountable but you have to hold me accountable too and no one's better than anyone else here you know we have to have the ability in these meetings to ask tough questions and to call each other out and to do it in ways you know i don't i only insist that you know if you're going to be confrontational do it in a respectful way you know, my dad owned a factory. He had 50 or 60 employees working for him. I still remember screaming matches with the foreman, you know, when they were doing inventory and this and that. And I guess as my communication style on the disc profile is I have a lot of S in me, steady relator. That stuff makes me really uncomfortable. Right. So I just want to find a way, like I, I try to encourage dissent because I think it helps us get to a better place, but I just ask, let's do it in a respectful way. So I'm always, I'm always asking where, you know, what's your opinion? What do you think? Or, and now I'm pushing it a little more. I'll say, you know, hey, you know, you've got a little bit of a smirk on your face, or, you know, you look like you don't agree. Tell me about that. What you What are you really thinking here, you know? Um, and we've had some disagreements on these, and it's funny because in, in structuring meetings that encourage that, I find we get more done. And I find we all feel like we need to be a little more accountable. Um, and we're seeing the results. And, you know, that's all I want. I want to grow the company in an or- organic, but structured way. Okay, but there You know, a- organic farming isn't just throwing a bunch of seeds out there and letting stuff happen. You still have to work the land. You still have to make it happen.
0: Okay, but just like in organic farming, there's a moment where you know well that crop's not going to work or that idea is not going to work or we need to excise some weed that right. is starting to sprout that's no good how do you handle those moments where you have to make the tough decisions and you're no longer the consensus maker you're the boss
1: that's an area I, I still struggle with um, I'm just being candid on that you know I I'm not where I want to be on that, and yet at the same time i 've told people ultimately I will make the decision on many, many things, so I also let them know that if it comes to that what what I ask is as long as I give you the opportunity to express and we discuss, I want a hundred percent commitment from everyone when we make a decision now I say that, it makes me uncomfortable but I have had to say that a couple of times Um, have you ever had to fire somebody? oh I've fired I've had to fire people over the years I haven't had to fire anyone in a really, really long time. I have my core engineers who have been with me all of those years. And the last two hires I made, we used a process called upgrading, which is awesome. And I just recommend anyone who's listening out there, if they have any HR responsibilities in hiring, buy the book, Top Grading. Look for the tool online. We just identified amazing candidates through this tool. Um, it, it made a huge difference. Um, Yes, I have had to fire me 23 years. I've absolutely had to fire people. It's just been a, it's been a long time. And I think that's because I have really, really good people uh, who've been with me for a long time. And the newer people, we
0: used a process that um, you know, minimized the likelihood that they would be a bad fit for the company. I know it's a struggle for most of my listeners out there, that moment when they have to fire a staff member or even a <coughs> client that's not working out. What would be your advice or some questions you think that they should think about in order to help them do that? I know you haven't done it in a while, but I'm sure you've probably let go some clients or chosen not to take on some clients. Well,
1: it's a different feeling for letting go of clients because we're, you know, if I've made anything clear, and hopefully I have, it's that I love having a good team, and the team is tremendously important to me. So when we have a bad client or a bad fit as a client that's not a problem I mean there's ways of firing a client just price yourself out you know um, I just remember years ago as an example our largest client was just a nightmare um, my lead engineer working for them literally got migraines when he had to work with them because uh, we were just getting beat up nice. all the time and it was just the expectations were off the chart and the personalities were just conflicting and uh and there to be sure some of the points they raised were actually good points like things i've integrated into the business it's it's never a one-sided thing in my opinion but having said that it was just so far far in the deep end and you know i just went and and basically you know they, they said well you know if we renew with you we we really need a better price and i said well if you renew with us you really have to pay us double (laughs) um and we had a party we celebrated in the office you know (laughs) so it wasn't that difficult um i figure if they had paid us double i would have been able to send my employee for the medical treatment for the migraine (laughs) i'm just kidding um i knew they weren't going to continue with us um i You know, I created a scenario where it was just not a good fit um,
0: for them, where they realized it and they moved on. Um, We used to analyze our clients every year, and every year I would ask my staff, Is there any client you would rather get rid of than work with them? And then we'd sit down and look at those clients and go, Okay, you know, is it. Is it worth working with them? What is it about them that's so hard to right. work with? And if it's the migraine thing, I'd pass them off to another provider <laughs> to say straight out, it's not working out.
1: Right. I mean, that was the physical manifestation for one engineer. Right. Everyone else in the office had their own issues. It created a lot of stress. And what's funny is, and they were our largest client at the time, we, um, we more than made up for it within the next year. Okay. Because it relieved so much stress and freed up energy to work on other things that where we could provide more value, and was a better you know with clients that were a better fit for the company, and where we were a better fit for them.
0: You know, I've seen that happen a lot. Let's let's talk about that in a minute. Where you don't want to make a decision, and then you you make a decision, right? To let go a client, let go an employee, or let go an idea that's not working, and then something ends up opening up because of all of that energy freedom that begins to happen. When you've explored so many different things over the years, Michael, I mean, 30 years of IT experience, (laughs) you know, you've watched the industry change. You and I were one of those first people that were like, oh, we need to figure out another way of doing our business. This is before the term managed service provider even existed. But you've been willing to explore these ideas of freeing up energy, right, and going in a different direction. I mean, you've even spoken at NASDAQ recently, not something the average IT guy is going to be doing. What challenges you, what questions are you asking yourself that enable you to recognize that? Say perhaps before some other people might have. What wow, should you be really looking I for? I
1: well, I think it's really important to slow down and reflect and think about what it is that you do well and what, what natural skills that you have. I, I was a film major, so I, I did not. I came into computers late I mean in my first job we computerized and while I was there I I went to college and I did one paper on a computer everything else was on a typewriter I mean this is just a different time so I've had a career of sometimes asking myself am I doing the right thing but also saying hey if this is the thing I'm doing because you know I've got a a family to feed and I have responsibilities how do I make it the best that it can be and one of the answers that came to me is you have to find what you most enjoy about what you do what keeps you motivated and energized and so for me I realized early on that it was a couple of different things one was about manifesting that as a business Owner, I have the ability to manifest anything I want. I'm not saying it's easy or, you know, I, I, I can't become Robert Hershavack overnight and build a $400 million a year business or whatever. You know, I might have my own limiting beliefs that get in the way of that. But the point is, as a business owner, if I have ideas, I have a real opportunity to make them happen. And when I was an employee, well, I can make some things happen to a much lesser degree. And that's something that fit very well with who I am. The other piece is about recognizing your strengths. And something I've recognized for years and years, and I think it was I had an operations manager for about a year. He didn't work out. Uh, But he's a really good guy, and, and he said to me, you don't understand, you Get things so quickly. Um, and I had never heard anyone say that before, and it just got me reflecting on that. So, what does that mean? What is he talking about? And I realized in my conversational style with people and in, in meetings and this that, you know, I just get certain things quickly. I see certain things quickly. That if I'm going to make a mistake, I make the mistake quickly. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to pump myself up too much. But the point here is that. I see and recognize things and get things, and wow, why not have fun with that? You know, why not recognize, okay, you do see things, so if you see where trends are going in the business, why not identify it and have fun with that and see where that can go? And also, can you use that mindset to reverse course when you need to quickly? And, and that has worked out, you know, a, a number of different times in both directions.
0: Have you ever read Daniel Burris's latest book, Antipatory, Anticipatory Organization?
1: I have not yet read
0: that. Oh, you need to I get that one because that's so who you are as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You can see and anticipate trends and see things before a lot of other people can.
1: I guess so. I, you know, it's still hard for me to believe that sometimes. But you know, it's funny. I um, years and years and years ago, we were doing managed services before it was managed services, law, right? right? I, I mean, I came up with the whole idea for what ultimately became our managed service offering literally in, I believe it was 2001. I had a Jerry Maguire moment. You know, when Jerry, did you ever see the song I love Jerry that Maguire? <laughs> right. So when he stays up all night writing this, you know. Right yeah saying that, of course, you know, ends up losing his job. But but it was just great. You know, I had this recognition that, my goodness, everything we're doing needs to change because the things people valued just two years ago, they don't value anymore. They don't have money The bubble pop. They're scared. Hardware passed software. We're just seeing all these different things happening. I'm going, what happened, you know? And I realized we needed to to change our model. Um And it was, we started doing that manually. Everything we did was a manual process back then. Right, because
0: there were no tools.
1: There were no tools. And then I, I just got... You know, like, don't be so quick to throw stuff out you get in the mail, right? I just got something in the mail unsolicited back in 2006 from a company in India that was providing monitoring and management of workstations and servers. And you probably know the company. They're not in business anymore. Um, And that led to us. Revolutionizing what we were doing, you right. know, when we uh, so working with a company called Zenith Infotech. They were bought by Continuum, and and you know that was really I, I've I've never met anyone that signed up with Zenith as early as I did.
0: Yeah, I was one of the <laughs> I early. I got adopters. that
1: thing in the mail, and yeah. I was like, "That's it. That's the thing. We need to research that." You know. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, Clint and I, Clint Gatewood and I, are still very close friends.
1: That's right. I saw Clint. Uh, well, I actually saw Clint at a show uh, three months ago. Great yeah.
0: guy. There you go. Yeah. All right. We're 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 starting to get towards the end of the show, and I want to make sure that we share how people can reach out to you if they have questions, because I know you are really all about relationships and conversation, and you love to be able to help and, and talk to people. So how can people reach out to you, Michael, and find out about your company as well?
1: Well, I, we have a website, obviously, www.jobeca which is the first two letters of my son's name, Joshua J.O., and the last five of my daughter's name, Rebecca, B-E-C-C-A. Put it all together, dot com. And, you know, we have a million ways to contact us on there. Of course, there's email, but... You know what, if there's anyone listening out there and anything resonates with them and they just want to have a conversation about any of this stuff, I, I love chatting. So call me. You know, my number is 215-891-9503. Glad to have a conversation. Um, if the timing doesn't work out, we'll schedule something. You know. And again, that's for anyone that I can help. I mean, frankly, it's not all about business in this case. Uh, I love chatting with fellow entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, giving any kind of help or guidance that I can. It just motivates me.
0: Which is why I was able to get you on my show. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about the geek stuff. We haven't talked about you're doing a documentary, right? You're going to be part of a documentary on cybersecurity coming up?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be flying out to California in about a month and a half, uh, I was interviewed for this film, Cybercrime. So it's a bunch of us in the IT space talking about cybersecurity and the risks because folks just, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how prevalent it is and how unprepared many people are at the intellectual level, which is to say folks that are in the industry have a lot of great tools out there and you can put those tools on but people are still the biggest risk and people don't want to slow down and take the time and think about the stuff and go, you know, is the risk real? What do I have to do to protect myself? So,
0: the city been, of Albany just got hit with a massive ransomware attack and then somewhere in the Norway area, one of the largest companies sort of in the world, their entire... Uh, What was it? Fifty thousand employees were affected by a ransomware attack, or something like that.
1: There's huge breaches every week. Yeah, and and really, when you when you dig beneath the the vast majority, the entry point is still human error. I mean, some sometimes there's a software flaw, and you know there's a risk that gets exposed, and the hackers you know find their way in. But a lot of times it's good old-fashioned social engineering or, you know, fishing, spear phishing campaigns. People click on things. I mean, I've had clients who, people in, a finan- in an area of financial responsibility who still don't take a training, multiple trainings we provide, they're not mandated at the company level, they don't take them, and then they go, oh, yeah, I clicked on that fake PayPal thing you sent me because we sent out fake phishing campaigns and you know, I, I don't, when I hear that stuff, I, I don't know what to do because I, I like, well, it's not a policy. The company's not mandating it. You're okay with that. You have the ability and access to the bank accounts, and you're thinking it's no big deal. Are we really that busy? Because that was the excuse in that case, a conversation we had with someone. Oh, but we're so busy. I'm going. You're, you're so busy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take an hour to, to you know, over a week, let's say. You can't spend an hour to, to educate yourself, yeah. and and you can't slow down and take a minute and say that email. I'm not sure about it. Let me pick up the phone and call somebody that I know from that company and find out if they really sent it. Yeah, don't or email them back. Them. By the
0: way, everybody, pick up the phone and call the person. All right, we're yeah, we're at the, the end of the show, them. Michael. I want to thank you so so much for being with oh, me today. Thank you. It, it was Been a joy. My pleasure. It was total joy to have you on the show. Everybody remember, the right questions can change your life, so what are you asking today? You know, you're an entrepreneur. Have a blast. Bye.
1: with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions
0: starting today.